Our scripture this evening is Luke 24, verse 25 through 27. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11, those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I think that's the end. Right. Okay. I remember hearing a story years ago about Brother Marshall Keeble. He was a gospel preacher of, I would say, two generations ago. When Marshall Keeble would go to a congregation, he would always ask the local preacher, I want to see the classrooms. And this particular local preacher who was relaying this story said, you know, I thought Brother Keeble wanted to see the auditorium, so I naturally took him into the auditorium and showed him. He said, no, 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 I don't want to see your auditorium, I want to see the classrooms. And so the preacher took him down the hallway where the children's classes were, and Brother Keeble stopped and looked in each one of those classrooms, and he stopped in the middle of his tour and said, you can tell a lot about a church by your classrooms. There's something about teaching that really shows the destiny, what, what kinds of seeds are being planted in a local church. Not just children's classes, but adult classes as well. There's something about teaching. If you want to know what a church is going to be like 5, 10, 15 years down the road, listen to the classes that are being taught. Pay attention to what's being done in children's classes and in teenagers' classes and in adult classes. Pay attention to the kind of substance, the kind of content that's being communicated, how it's being taught, what is being taught, and why it's being taught. Pay attention to those things because it makes a difference and it makes an indelible mark on the local church. We need to think about the ministry of teaching. There are a lot of different ministries that God gives us, a lot of different areas in which we can serve, but teaching is a ministry. And there are a lot of teachers, as I look out across the audience this evening, a lot of teachers among us. Many of you are currently teaching either a children's class or an adult class. Many of you have taught in recent quarters children's and adult classes, and maybe many of you are thinking, you know, I'd like to teach one day, but I really don't know how to get started. I'm glad you said that because you need to start connecting with some people. If you've got that passion and that interest, start connecting with some people. If there's somebody that, a particular age group that you'd like to learn to teach or like to be a part of or maybe come on as a helper, we can help you with that. Come talk to me and I'll point you in the right direction or talk to one of the elders. We need men and women to teach God's word to all ages. And we need to think about the ministry of teaching it has an effect on the future of every congregation. It's gonna have an effect on our future here at Katy.
Think about this, why preach about teaching? I mean, if we're gonna preach a lesson, why is this something that we ought to spend time thinking about? I believe there is a widespread lack of concern for teaching among the Lord's people right now. Maybe not so much in the local congregation at Katy, although we could do even better than we're already doing as a congregation when it comes to giving focus and attention to what's being taught, how it's being taught, why it's being taught. We need to think about that. Hosea 4 verse 6 warns us, God's people are destroyed when there is lack of knowledge. Why preach about teaching? Because we have great examples in scripture of men who taught God's word faithfully. Ezra 7 verse 10, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And in Matthew 7 verse 28, misprint on the screen there. Matthew 7 verse 28, when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who has authority and not as one of the scribes. If Ezra was a teacher, if Jesus Christ was a teacher, and if Jesus told us to go into all the world and teach, we need to preach about this and talk about what it means to faithfully teach God's word. Teaching is commanded Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. In Titus 2 verses 2 and 3, the apostle Paul told Titus to instruct the older men to teach, to te- uh, the older women to teach the younger women, Titus 2 verses 2 and 3. And Titus was supposed to be teaching the church a number of things about what it meant to be faithful to the Lord. Teaching is commanded. We need godly people. We need you as a teacher among the people of God. Another reason to preach about this is because we do not learn well by rote. You know what that means by rote? Rote means that you just kind of go through the motions and you kind of catch it as you go. Or as some people say, experience is the best teacher. We're just gonna throw you in the pool and sink or swim, right? That's learning by rote. We don't really learn particularly well by rote. In one of my books that I was reading recently, I don't even remember which one, there was a quote that stuck with me and I've been meditating on this for a couple of weeks. Angie's annoyed by this because I brought it up to her a number of times. Experience is not the best teacher. Guided experience is the best teacher. Think about that, it's profound. It's not experience that's the best teacher, it is guided experience that is the best teacher. When you think about Jesus and the apostles, it wasn't the fact that Jesus just sent the apostles out without any instruction, without any guidance. And when they came back to him after they had been teaching and evangelizing, it's not as if he didn't debrief them and share with them the kinds of things that they had done. It's guided experience that is the best teacher. And we would be wise as the people of God to give some guided experience to those who would like to do better in the ministry of teaching. So some reasons to preach about this particular subject, four parts to our lesson this evening. As we think about teaching and teaching to the glory of God, bringing souls to Jesus, bringing people closer to a relationship with God, that's what teaching accomplishes when it's done correctly, when it's done to God's glory. As we think about this, in the first place, let's spend just a few moments talking about what it means to teach. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter four. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is an interesting book because it's all about the teaching that Moses gave to the Israelites. 
as they get to the end of their wilderness wanderings, Moses preaches a number of sermons through the book of Deuteronomy. And it's fascinating to think about some of the things that are said, what Moses emphasizes to the children of Israel. For our purposes, I want us to note note two passages, Deuteronomy 4 verse 1 and Deuteronomy 5 verse 1. There's something here in the Hebrew language that's worth contemplating. In Hebrews 4 verse 1, Moses says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes of the judgments which I teach you. You might circle that. Which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. That word in Deuteronomy 4 verse 1 for teach in the Hebrew language is identical to a word we're going to read in chapter 5 verse 1. Turn over one page in your Bible, Deuteronomy 5 verse 1. Moses called all Israel, Deuteronomy 5 1, and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. Circle that word learn. The word learn in Deuteronomy 5 verse 1 is the same Hebrew word as the word teach in Deuteronomy 4 verse 1. And the implications of this, it's been pointed out, the implications of this are that teaching is not just saying a bunch of things to people and, you know, if you get it, that's fine. If you don't, that's your problem. Kind of in the American model of teaching, what happens in a lot of, especially college classrooms. The professor stands up and the professor lectures on whatever he thinks is important. And if you get it, good for you. If you don't get it, well, that's your problem. When we think about teaching in the biblical model, the way that the word is being used in Deuteronomy 4 verse 1, Deuteronomy 5 verse 1, the responsibility is equally upon the student and upon the teacher. Or said another way, biblically speaking, to teach someone means that as a teacher, we are responsible to cause learning to take place. To cause learning to take place. That means that those of us who teach, those of us who preach God's word, we have a responsibility to think about not only the content that we're giving to people, but we have a responsibility to think about how we can communicate this in a way that is digestible, that people can learn, that they can take home, that they can live in their lives. Teaching is not really teaching unless we are striving to cause, as teachers, learning to take place. May I just say this? You can't show up in a children's class 10 minutes before, before class starts and accomplish that, at least not very well. I understand that sometimes life gets complicated and I understand that sometimes people struggle and you know, you're just, you're just barely doing well to get here on time. I understand that. And every once in a while, those kinds of things happen. But if that's the habit, if that's the way that you and I approach teaching, it's not gonna be very effective. Because a teacher's mission, a teacher's goal is to cause learning to take place. I want my students to learn something, to grow and to mature in their relationship with the Lord. Whatever level they are, they find themselves. Can't do this in an adult class. You can't just walk in five minutes before services and open up an outline and say, I haven't looked at this, but I wanna talk to you about some things and expect to cause learning to take place. The responsibility of teaching is weighty and we need to take it seriously. 
When we think about the meaning of teaching, I'd like to, like to point out before we leave this point, three aspects of people's personality. There are three different kinds of people I've observed when it comes to teaching, and everybody kind of has their wheelhouse. Everybody kind of has their emphasis. There are people that are like the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man who had a deep and abiding love for the Word of God. Paul was someone who was logical, he was analytical, and if you, if you ask Paul, out of all the aspects of teaching, what do you like best? Paul would say, I like to get into the Word, and I like to share the nuances of meaning, and I like to expound upon words and expound upon arguments. Paul was that way, he was wired that way. It made him, in, min, in many ways, a tremendous teacher. And sometimes you'll come across people like that. They love to emphasize the Word of God. Then you find people like the Apostle John. John is somebody who has a passionate and a deep love for God. John is somebody that if you were going to listen to him, devotion to God. I mean, read First and Second John, Third John. This is a man who is deeply and passionately in love with God, and he wants you to love God too. As a matter of fact, just go through First, Second, Third John and read how often love for God and love for your brother is found in those books. It's full of that idea. And so if you're listening to John teach, he's going to have a little bit different style. He's going to have a little bit different uh, wheelhouse, if you will. And then you come across people like Barnabas, maybe. Barnabas, he was such a great encourager. They called him the son of encouragement. That was his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. He loves people. And you'll find all three kinds of teachers. Sometimes teachers really emphasize I, I love my students. I, I want to connect with them. I want to teach them. I want to I relate to them. And sometimes you've got people that are just deeply and passionately in love with the Word of God. Sometimes you find people that are just pointing everyone to a devotional relationship with God. Let me just say this. When it comes to teaching, you may have one or more emphases here, but all three of those areas ought to be held in a healthy balance for those of us who teach. We need to have a love for God's word. We ought to have an interest in what the text says and why it says it that way. But we also ought to have a healthy devotional life and a relationship with God so that we can talk to people about how to connect with him. And we ought to have a love for people. We ought to care about the people that we teach because your, your students can tell. They can tell whether you care about them and whether you love them. And so as we think about the meaning of teaching, those three areas, a love for God, a love for people, and a love for God's word will serve you well if you keep them in proper, healthy, biblical balance in teaching. Second this evening, who was the greatest teacher that ever lived? Pop quiz. Who was the greatest teacher that ever lived? Jesus Christ. He is the master teacher. You got your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 24, the passage that Rocky read from just a moment ago. Luke chapter 24 the example that Jesus set as a teacher. If you want to be a better teacher, read the Gospels and notice how Jesus taught. Notice what Jesus taught. That would be a great way just to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just keep a list, keep a piece of paper off to the side. What did Jesus teach? What subjects did he teach about? How did he teach them? Where and when did he teach? You know, publicly, privately, how was he teaching? Keep a list of those kinds of questions. You'll be amazed what you'll learn about Jesus, the master teacher. 
Here in Matthew 24, we, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 24, at the, at the end of the gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. And let's just learn a little bit about how Jesus relates to his students for a moment. As you look at verses 13 through 19, Jesus comes alongside these two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus engaged his students. As a teacher, he's got the intention of sharing some messages from God with them, and he engages with them. Look at verse 17. Jesus comes up alongside and says, what kind of conversation, Luke 24, 17, is this, that you have with one another, that you walk, and you're sad? Isn't it interesting? Jesus stopped long enough to listen to what they were saying and to pay attention to their countenance. And he noticed that these, these people are crestfallen. These people are down. He notices that about his audience. And the Bible says in verse 18, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Now, this is really interesting to me as a teacher. All of the things that Cleopas is talking about just happened to Jesus, right? Of course he knows. He's the one that they happened to. But instead of saying, well, of course I know. Yes, sure. I've got all the answers that you need. Just listen to me. Here comes my five-point outline. Jesus doesn't do that. Look at what he does in verse 19. Jesus says to them, what things? He's the master teacher. And good teachers know that sometimes one of the best things you can do is just to ask a healthy and a helpful question. What things? And notice, this is almost comical, from verse 19 down to verse 24, I don't know if it's Cleopas or one of the others, it just says they said to him, but from verse 19 to verse 24, whoever this is, they tell the whole story from start to finish with all the details. And as a teacher, Jesus patiently listens. When we think about the master teacher, he engaged his students, he talked to them, he asked questions, and he listened to what they had to say. And then it's Jesus' turn to speak in verse 25. And when he begins teaching, Jesus addresses their basic problem. You know what their basic problem was? Oh, foolish ones, he says in verse 25, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He tells his, his disciples, he tells these people, the problem here is very simple. Your problem is that you haven't believed everything that the prophets spoke. And then he goes on and begins to reason with them in verse 26. He says, ought not the Christ to have suffered and uh, these things and to enter into his glory? And then in verse 27, it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He brought up their deepest need. They need to believe what the prophets spoke. And then he took them to the prophets and he expounded to them what the prophets from Moses onward had written about the Messiah. He was the master teacher. He didn't get caught off in the weeds and, you know, somebody said, hey, I, I, Jesus, I got a rabbit I want to chase. Let's, let's go over here. Sometimes there could be a place for that. But Jesus had a mission. He had something he was trying to accomplish. And also what's interesting about this passage is Jesus, at the end of his teaching, he witnesses a response in his students. 
his students beg him to stay. Jesus was going to keep going and they say, no, stay with us, eat with us. And so Jesus comes and he sits and he eats with them, the Bible says. And then when they broke bread together, their eyes were open, verse 31, and they knew that it was Jesus and he vanished from their sight. And I love this verse in verse 32. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Why did they have burning hearts? Because they saw their need and they saw how the word of God fulfilled their need in Christ. Their hearts burned because of the way that Jesus taught the scriptures. There's there a great deal we can learn from Jesus, the master teacher, the response of his students. Oh, and by the way, you know what his students did? His students went and they talked to others about what they had just seen and what they had just observed and what they had just learned from Jesus as he expounded to them from Moses and all the prophets, the thing concerning himself. They went and they repeated these lessons to others. There's a response. Jesus is the great example. Number three, as we think about teaching, how do you evaluate good teaching? I mean, not how do you evaluate, but how should we evaluate good teaching? What, what are we supposed to do? Because typically, typically if somebody wants to evaluate a Bible class, one of the things that they'll do is, is maybe give one of these answers. They'll say, you know, when it comes to a Bible class, when it comes to a teacher, let, let's just ask this question. Did we have discussion? Were people able to give their input? Were people able to say something in this particular class? And if we could talk and if we could say something and, 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 and uh, expound our views, you know, together, then everything is great. You know, it's a great class. Maybe, maybe not. How about this? Did we cover the text? The teacher had to get from Isaiah chapter one to Isaiah chapter five. Did he do it? Did he, did he accomplish it? Or did he get stuck in chapter one and we never actually got to chapters three, four, and five? You know, did we cover it? Did he have enough time to do what he, what he planned to do? Did we assemble together and talk about the Bible? You know, sometimes people set the bar pretty low. If we, if we got together and we talked and said some things about the Bible, said some things about, about God, about his, his love for us, then we must have had a Bible class. Do I like the teacher? Is he charming? Is he witty? Is he personable? Is he engaging? You know, does he know his subject? Did I like the teacher? Those all have their place. I'm not knocking any of those in and of themselves, but I'm just saying those may not be the best questions to ask when we're evaluating, does this teaching really glorify God? You got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Acts chapter 8, verse 30. I'll give you some better questions to ask. As we evaluate those of us who teach and those of us who evaluate, by the way, even if you don't teach, maybe this is not something that, you know, public teaching is just not something that you are skilled in and it's not something that you have much of a desire to do. The church needs all kinds of personalities and we all have gifts and abilities that we can contribute to the body. But a lesson like this can help you as well because Listening to what we're saying tonight can help you learn to be a better encourager of those who do teach. You can learn how to encourage and uplift because teaching is a difficult thing to do. And how do I encourage those who do, even if I don't teach myself? Acts chapter 8, verse 30, Philip comes to the Ethiopian nobleman and he says, do you understand what you are reading? 
Can I just offer the humble suggestion that one good evaluation for a Bible class is this. Do we understand what God has said to us? At the end of the class, do people understand this is the Lord's word to us? This is how it relates in context. This is how it relates to us today. Do we understand? Another question. James chapter 1 verse 22. Do the students act on what they know? James 1 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I'll tell you about me because I do this for a living, obviously. What really gets my heart beating faster, what really excites me as a teacher is not when people, and I appreciate when people say, I appreciate your sermon, you know, it, it, it really helped me, I understand. I really appreciate those comments, I really do. But what really gets me excited as a teacher is when somebody comes and says, hey, John, you preached that sermon three or four weeks ago, and I've been doing such and such since then. That really encourages me because that's what, as a teacher, all of us ought to be aiming for, life change. That people do something differently, that people do something more zealously or more diligently as a result of God's word being communicated. That's what teaching is supposed to do. It's supposed to change people's lives. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. When we teach, renewing of minds is taking place. God's word is getting into our hearts and into our minds and it's supposed to get into our lives. So the best evaluation for teaching, if we're thinking about causing learning to take place, the best evaluation for any lesson, for any class is this. What did the students do with this when they left? What kind of change took place in their lives after this was finished? That's the way to evaluate Bible classes. That's the way to evaluate sermons. What's different in my life as a result of this? Incidentally, for those of you who teach, before I leave this point, there is such a thing as a thirst for distinction. And many teachers become captivated by it, a thirst for distinction. I want to stand out. I want to be different. I want to say things in a different way, in a new way that people have never heard before. Let me just warn you to be careful about that. Because if it's new, it probably isn't true. And if it's true, it certainly isn't new. The Bible was put into print 2,000 years ago. And if you're saying something new that nobody's ever heard before, you're probably off the track. One of our songs in our songbook, I Love to Tell the Story. You know that song, I Love to Tell the Story of Unseen Things Above? One of my favorite verses in that song goes like this. It always gets to me. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Think about that. When I listen to a Bible class, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear things that I already know. And I want to hear things that I've heard before. And I want to hear about the greatness and the grace and the goodness of God. That's what I want to hear. And if you teach me something that I haven't heard before, that's great, you know, bonus. But what I really want to hear from a Bible class, from a sermon, what I really want to hear are things that have been taught and heard and, and, and echoed in churches all over the world for centuries. 
Because those who know the gospel best, they want to hear the gospel over and over and over again. That's what good teachers do. Next, the character of a teacher. Turn to James chapter 3, verse 1. As we think about teaching, we need to think about the teacher, the one who would stand before others and proclaim the word of God. James chapter 3, verse 1. This maybe is the most famous passage dealing with teaching in the New Testament. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And he gives his reason in verse two. He says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. He's not trying to discourage anybody from becoming teachers. What he's doing is he's saying, you need to take this seriously. Because if you decide to teach somebody else, you're going to be responsible not only for what you teach, but you're gonna be responsible for the response of the other person in the sense that if you say something that is, that is different from the gospel, if you're teaching something that is untrue, you may well lead somebody else astray. And if you're just trying to teach because you like standing up in front of people and you like for people to pat you on the back and say good lesson, if that's your motivation, by the way, that's kind of what was happening in James 3, that's the wrong motive altogether. Let not many of you become teachers you shall incur a stricter judgment. We mentioned Ezra 7.10 a few moments ago. The Bible says in that passage, Ezra the scribe, he prepared his heart. He got ready to teach. He invested time and energy and study. He sought the law of the Lord and then he did what he knew was right. And then he was ready to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's an important passage to contemplate. Next, the character of teaching. Turn to 1 Timothy 4, verse 15. I've been fascinated by this verse for years because Paul is giving advice to Timothy as a young preacher. He's telling him how to conduct his ministry and he wants him to make sure that he's giving attention to certain things. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, as he kind of wraps up this section dealing with the ministry of teaching, he says, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 15, Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Timothy, the price of good healthy teaching is that you must be personally growing. If you're gonna teach in a long-term way, doesn't matter whether you're teaching kindergartners, whether you're teaching 80-year-olds, if you're gonna teach in a long-term way, the price of good, effective, God-honoring teaching, the price is personal growth, constantly growing. If you're not willing to seek the law of the Lord in your own life and to do what God says in your own life and to grow in your own life, if you start coasting, your teaching's going to suffer and the people of God are gonna suffer. The price is personal growth, that your progress may be evident to all. And when people listen to you, they'll know whether you're growing or not. Oh, you can fool them for a while, but you can't fool them for a long period of time. Next, as we think about the character of a teacher, how about preparation? 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw James and, or Peter and James, or Peter and John, excuse me, and he called them and said, come follow me. And they left their nets immediately and they followed him. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Jesus said. What were they, what were they being invited to do? These men were being invited to gain guided experience from Jesus Christ, the master teacher. And for the next three years, that's exactly what they did. They prepared and they prepared and they prepared in many different ways, sometimes through failures, sometimes through successes, and sometimes through rebukes from the Lord himself. They constantly were learning. Jesus was giving them guided experience. And when Jesus ascended in Acts chapter one, those men were ready. They were prepared to teach. Preparation, it's essential. You cannot just stand up in front of people and expect that good things are going to happen without preparation, without giving our hearts and our, and our lives and our time to the service and the ministry of teaching. And then this, when we think about teaching, part of the character of a teacher is, we've said this throughout the lesson, the way we measure and evaluate teaching is what do the students do with what's being said? What do students do with God's word? Ephesians 4 verses 12 through 16 tells us that Jesus Christ made some in the church to be apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The goal of teaching is to equip people, not just so that we know things in our minds, but so that we can live the gospel in our lives. We ought to teach to equip. It's a matter of character. It's a matter of who we are. As we think about teaching, this is one of those things where as you think about God's word, as you look at what it has to say, if you're really thinking about what's being said in the Bible, you kind of have to throw your hands up at some point and say, who is sufficient for these things? I mean, really, to stand in front of people and to communicate a message that comes from God and to try to do that faithfully and to try to do that effectively and to try to cause learning to take place and to evaluate what you've done based on how your students respond and how they live or respond to the message. Who's sufficient for that? As those who teach, we must find our strength in the Lord and not in ourselves. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Teaching ought to be bathed in prayer. Those who teach ought to spend time on their knees before the Lord, talking about their students to the Lord, talking about their lesson to the Lord. Don't try to do this in your own strength. Don't try to do this out of your own talents and abilities. Do it with God's help. And the wonderful thing is in God's word, he promises to bless and to help and to strengthen and to encourage and to give wisdom to those who teach when our hearts are what he would have them to be. We need as the people of God here at Katy to spend time thinking about the ministry of teaching. We have some fantastic teachers of God's word. That's a blessing. We also need to look around us and ask the question, what can we do to plant seeds in other people's lives to help them through guided experience to become great gospel teachers as well. Because the destiny and the future of the people of God in any place can be seen in what is being taught and how it's being taught and why it's being taught. Thank you for your kind attention to the lesson this evening. If we can help you to obey the gospel this evening, 
Jesus Christ wants you to come to him more than anything else in this world. He died so that you could do that. Jesus wants you to believe in him, to confess his name, to repent of your sin, and to be immersed, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're ready to respond to the gospel invitation this evening, or if you need to ask for prayers, whatever your need is, won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing?